everybody! Welcome to episode 93 of Literary Disco, the best of 2015. On today's episode, a month later than every other podcast and newspaper and magazine in the country, we are summing up 2015. We have our shit together. Our Wait till you hear year. our thoughts about 2012. So, We're going to do that oh boy, in four That months. was a great year. I love 2012. <laughs> so we'll discuss books, of course, but as per our tradition, we will roam far away from books and talk about all kinds of favorites. Basically, right. whatever Todd feels uh, like. Uh, we'll do books. As, as Actually, as Todd put it in an email to us, hey, let's do books, movies, music, food, and then whatever I shout out. Why do we agree to this I every have, year? Just FYI, you just broke a confidentiality agreement. I don't know if you look, but at the bottom of my email oh, says, boy. this email cannot be dispersed or read without prior consent. Oh, wow. All right, yeah, sure, Tucker, cut that out. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hey, Ryder Strong. Hi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good to see you guys. That's okay. Well, This is when the year gets real. You know what I mean? The first week, you're well-intentioned. Whatever you're doing now... January twenty seventh. Yeah. That's basically how your year is going to be. So, oh shit, this we're we're for real. I had a surprise root canal today. So, all <laughs> right, well that's it. I feel like that's a bad harbinger <laughs> for the rest of the year. But you know the thing about picking the best of the year, particularly if you include um, TV and movies, is I don't know about you guys, but you know I see like all the best films at the end of the year when they bring out all the Oscar contenders and then I end up binging on TV during the holidays so I watch all the TV shows I missed so really I think what we're doing is providing a far more educated look at culture than say the New York Times the Washington Post or any of those smart people. I agree I agree okay I, I get really right. pissed when there's like end of year things that come out on like December 10th yeah I'm like 20 more days life could change in that time I you totally could die. agree I totally agree yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. exciting things have been going on, though, and we should probably update uh, our readers or our listeners, rather. So, uh, Ryder, you're just at Sundance. What were you doing at Sundance? Uh, actually, I was just hanging out. Um, it was just I hadn't been in almost 10 years because, you know, like a lot of filmmakers, I made this this rule like I'm not coming back to Sundance till they want me till I have a movie here. Some bullshit like that. And <laughs> I finally just gave up because it was like, you know, the chances of getting into Sundance are so slim, you know, and I haven't even made a feature film yet. So it was like, let's just go. And so my wife and my brother and I went and had an amazing time, of course, as you do at Sundance. And it was great. What did you, um, did but, you see anything that blew you away? No, no. I mean, I saw some great stuff, but actually, you know, I it, I didn't have passes or tickets, so it was mostly, it's so hard to get into films, and I was only there for the first weekend. It's still going on right now. Um, so it, it's more of a whirlwind of just meeting people and running into old friends and reconnecting and talking about film. The thing about Sundance at this point is like, you know, everything kind of gets distributed from Sundance right. if it's not a big Disney. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be that you would only you would want to go see all the docs because they wouldn't end up anywhere, you know, because documentaries didn't get distribution. But now with Netflix, there's so many document all documentaries get out there. So really, you know, Sundance is more about gathering information about what you're going to spend the rest of the year watching. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot. So no, I didn't I didn't see anything that blew me away. Um, uh, to be honest, I only saw two movies the whole time I was there. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So basically, you just went on a ski vacation where you didn't ski. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's not so bad. But, you know, for my wife and I, it was like our, it was one of our few, I think this was, well, no, for her, for her birthday this year, we went and, um, uh, you know, we we had two nights away without the baby. Um, But this was our first, like, big trip for three nights without the baby. Her parents were watching Indy. So we were on our own in another town, partying it up. We were out to like three or four in the morning every every night it was it was a lot of fun oh well i thought you were That's gonna awesome. say we we're out till three or four in the afternoon and then we just cut it off we were in bed skyping no. with the kids they're cool parents <laughs> just being able to sleep it we slept in till like noon it was so lovely. oh wow oh, it was lovely yeah and you had a big one-year That's birthday awesome. for your son uh one month ago today right yeah just about yeah it was a, it, and by big you mean it was just the grandparents right. and us. <laughs> we didn't, Huge. We're not one of those people who like are gonna you know have these blowout bouncy castle parties for a one year old. No. I, I think we'll wait till he's you know sentient and can remember <laughs> right. anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite a year. I yeah. mean that that's a pretty big year you had last year. You you created mm-hmm. a human being and then it came to live with you. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's pretty it's so weird, man. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a bad year i mean so you created a human being and uh it, he didn't die you didn't accidentally leave him outside or anything um it completely changes your perception of time like the fact that it's been a year since he's been on this earth is just it's so weird to me because it's like on one hand it's gone by super fast you know like i can't believe it that he didn't exist a year ago and it's already but but then on the other hand like Every week, it's like he's a different person, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. each week ha- has such a distinct set of memories. And, like, his face has changed, you know? He's gone from looking like this little slug that, you know, we loved so much. <laughs> and he seemed like he had so much personality. But now we look back and we're like, God, like, there's none none of him in there that we can now recognize so clearly. His face has changed. And, of course, he's saying words now. He's not walking yet. He's a slow slow walker. But... You know, he can crawl faster than a speeding bullet. And there's just, it's so weird, like, how much he's changed. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's like anything. It just gives you a real profound sense of time. Wow. That's it's, awesome. It's, and Todd. Just... Y- yes. I, I was going to transition, and I know oh, you okay. have a dumb joke. So say your say I, joke. I, I, I didn't have a dumb joke. <laughs> I was going to say something sweet. Oh. Well, by all wow. means, go ahead. No. I was going to say, wow, Julia, you know, you could have just mm-hmm. gone to Sundance and said, I didn't produce a film this year. I produced a life. Oh. But Julia came in with her vacacta insults and had to. Uh, actually, what I was going to say is you didn't have a baby, but you have been working on a book and let's hear about it. That's oh, your big the baby book that's, news. That's, uh, that's coming out. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's, it's now public knowledge. So the last year, um, I, I wrote a book with Brad Meltzer, um, who is a fantastic guy, a best-selling crime writer, and he has a couple shows that are on TV, Decoded and Lost History. So uh, we collaborated on a book called The House of Secrets that's coming out on June 7th um, in bookstores everywhere. I'm really excited about it. I think uh, it's, uh, it's a completely different kind of book than I've written in the past. Um, so I'm excited to be able to talk about it now and that uh, and that's out there. And if you want, um, listeners, you can, um, I think by the time you listen to this, it might be closed, but you can vote on 
the cover. Uh, if you go to uh, my Facebook page or if you look at our Twitter feed, you'll see a link to vote on the cover um, as well. And then um, on January 1st, though, if my editor, Dan Smetanka, is listening, this is a lie, um, I started writing the sequel to my book, Gangsterland. Um, so I've been very busy in the last few weeks. Um, and the sequel to Gangsterland comes out in fall of 2017. So I've just been sort of getting myself back in the mindset of a mafia hitman who's a rabbi. Um, so that's been, it's been, uh, that's why I spent the last uh, six weeks anyway, is, is working hard on this new book and getting a foothold on it, which has been cool. So I have a big time famous author question. Yes. Um, so you've just started writing it. And when is your first draft due? The book is due uh, in January of 2017. Um, All right. So you get a year. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I'll probably show my agent and editor, um, Dan Smetanka at Counterpoint Press. Um, I'll probably show him the first hundred pages um, in a month or so, um, which is when I'll probably be at about a hundred pages or a month and a half from now, somewhere in there, um, just to make sure that I haven't completely fucked myself. <laughs> um, so. You know, they'll, they'll see things a little bit along the way. But, you know, the way I write is I, I don't I don't really write completely linearly when I'm writing a novel. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll have a lot of placeholders and I, I won't know things until mm -hmm. I'm deeper into it. So it takes me a while to, to fully form scenes because I don't quite know the characters until I'm pretty far in. So it, it doesn't make a ton of sense often for me to deliver pages like 25 at a time or something because I'm going to make pretty wholesale changes along the way. I mean, like the Sure. The the first uh Gangster Land book, it was four hundred and sixty five pages when I gave it to um my editor. He cut three chapters essentially. I wrote three new chapters. So it it, it changes pretty significantly. Um so I've been doing that. But the other cool thing, um and and writer, maybe you've experienced this and you can tell me what it's like. I'm apparently huge in Belgium right now. No way. <laughs> yeah. Because of Gangsterland? Yeah. It it came out Why Belgium. Uh, it, it came out uh, a week ago in Belgium <laughs> and it's sweeping uh the the Flemish countries. So it's in the Netherlands uh and then there's the other ones. There's I think we've had this conversation. There's Belgium. So <laughs> Belgium is where our good friend Stephen Dow. Yes, yeah, so Stephen Dow yeah. uh, actually got the Sunday paper for me, where there's this giant spread all about me in the Sunday paper, saying. Uh, Are they reading it in English or no? In French? It's been or... translated into uh, into Dutch. Oh, Dutch. So, and I've got I've got the copy in Dutch, and I, I I take great pleasure in looking at it and seeing all the words that have double A's in them. Um, <laughs> but I like. The the main paper in um, Belgium last week said that I had written the best crime novel of the year, even though it was already it was only the first week of January. <laughs> but I, I'm just getting like these huge spreads in That's so great, in the Flemish man. lands. So I expect at some point very soon I'm going to land uh, myself in a foreign land, and then just mobs of people will come to me and uh, seeking guidance or parts of my clothes and I won't understand the thing cool. that they're saying. Cool. Yeah. Sounds like fun though. What is the is the is the title anything different? Is it like Gangsterlanden? 
Kind of, you know, just gangster land with like dots above the A's or something. So thus far in all the countries that it's come out in, so it's come out in America, it's come out in um, England, it's come out in Belgium, and then it's coming out in France and Germany and Italy and Bulgaria um, and uh, Hungary, all, all these places in pretty quick succession. But thus far, um, everyone's keeping the title of Gangsterland that I know of. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I did, I did like, there was a review online of the book in Belgium or in Dutch rather. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't speak the language and, and the Google translations are, are often a little off, but my main concern is I just don't want them to be saying like, this Jew must die. And I don't know it. Like, I wanna, no, <laughs> I wanna, no. I want to be aware of it. You're so, fine. Wherever it says Juden in the in the reviews, I, I snip that part and I run it through the translator. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm I'm uh, I, I've seen the cover for the version in France, and apparently in France they think the book takes place in the 1950s. But you know, what am I gonna do? It's France. So it's very weird. But so I've had a very active uh, six weeks. And Julia, you've got a brand new project that just debuted. Yes. Tell us about that. I too have had a very active six weeks. So I have been working on another podcast. Oh, um, sorry, guys. Yeah. But it is it couldn't be less like this one. Oh, that's what, that's what uh, they always say about their side piece. It's not like you. Uh, <laughs> It's it's well researched. It's thoughtful. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> it's written, rehearsed. It, uh, There's yeah. a sense of respect among the hosts. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But what it is is um. <laughs> it's basically it's it's really great. I hope people do go and listen to it because I live in Hartford, which has a weird you know history and a bad rap. Um, and so it's a podcast. It will probably do it in different cities throughout Connecticut, but, uh, starting in Hartford, what it is, is taking different places in the city that people know, and then walking a half mile radius around them, talking to people, going into businesses and just getting, you know, residents and visitors perspectives on the city. So it's really cool. I mean, Hartford has a super cool history. So like, for example, uh, in one of the episodes, um, I was in this tattoo parlor on this famous street here that, you know, no one wants to go on because it's supposedly super scary, even though it is not at all. Uh, and I'm talking to this guy and he's like describing to me that, you know, he was in, in the 70s. He lived in the Bowery in New York. And then he's like they they he owned a fashion shop. And then as he's kind of rambling on with the story, I'm like, wait a second, are you describing to me that you invented the platform shoe? And he did. He made David Bowie's platform oh shoes. He made Mick Jagger's platform <laughs> shoes. And this is a guy like, this is like a quarter mile from my, where I'm sitting right now. And Hartford is full of these people because it's close to New York. It's close to Boston. And it used oh, to be a really thriving really city. Cool. So there's shit ton of people like that around here. So we found them. We found them. That is so, so yeah, cool. It's called, yeah, it's called The Radius Project. And... There's not a ton of episodes, but people should definitely go and listen to them because it really shows how much is in a space that you think you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has some cool facts in it. So, well, yeah, I think if you that. talk to anybody, if you go and talk to anyone in the world, they've got a story to tell, you know? Um, yeah. And if they are asked the right questions by someone who's inquisitive and, and sort of has an idea that, that they have a story to tell, you can find out pretty amazing things. Yeah. 
That's yep. awesome. And particularly a place like a small urban town, you know, it's a it's it's Hartford's a metropolis, right? It's like the urban center mm-hmm. of the area. So there's going to yeah. be a lot of stuff. That's so cool. Yeah. How, how much time did you uh, spend on each episode? Oh, my God, forever. I mean, it went so much slower than I thought because it was so it, well, like we really wanted to do a good job uh, mm-hmm. because you're telling people's stories. So, you know. And then, of course, about half the interviews, either like the people don't they're not that great at, at expressing themselves or, you know, it just doesn't get you anything good. So we produced five episodes and it took honestly about six or seven months to do it. So like about a month, an episode. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was in it. I probably conducted maybe like 80 interviews. Um, and I had to find all those people first. And then I got really involved because this is who I am. So I also wrote about half the, uh, half the content of each episode and then I edited it. And then of course I hosted it. So I recorded it and re-recorded it. And guys working with like real radio professionals, they really care about things sounding good. (laughs) Yeah. As should we from the beginning. Wow. Like I've always said. God, if anybody goes back through our catalog and listens to, like, the first 20 episodes, yeah. it's just, it's embarrassing. Well, Aww, and I'm well. aware, people sometimes say on Twitter, oh, I'm I'm starting and listening from the, the first, and I'm like, start, like, around number 30. Number 30 is, yeah. is where we got the audio. Or, or when yeah. when Tucker came on board. So, number 70 or so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, but Julia, yeah. I don't think you've said the name of yeah the name is the radius project um because uh, radius is indicating of course like this point on a map and walking the radius around it that is so cool um, and it's through wnpr which is the connecticut public radio station and can um, you get it so on yeah. itunes or is it just through wnpr yep it's on itunes stitcher everything that literary disc goes on so anyone who's listening to us right now should definitely be able to find it or you can just go to the radiusproject.org um, or just tweet me and I'll send you links. Whatever. Whatever, man. That is so cool. I, yeah, I'm really, it's awesome. I'm really sort of amazed by um, how this form that, you know, the three of us in this show, we, you know, I don't know if the listeners know, we don't, we don't know much. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> but how many amazing and bizarre and interesting podcasts I found where I've learned stuff that I never knew I'd know. Um, just by just sort of randomly looking at stuff on iTunes or whatever. People oh my god! Oh my god! I discovered the craziest podcast. <laughs> Have you guys what heard is... of? It's okay. So it, there's a little bit of a backstory. I I fall asleep to podcasts like all the time. It's like if I wake up in the middle of the night, I can't sleep, and I start, you know, getting into a horrible, insecure spiral about my life and my work and <laughs> money and mm-hmm. all the things that happen yeah. at one in the morning. What I have just I call have me. To I'm up. Yeah, I should. Yeah, you are. I know. But I, you know, I have to listen to a podcast in order to fall back asleep. And um, what ends up happening often is like I listen to the same episode of like Radio Lab twenty times because yeah, I've fallen asleep and I right. And so it's finally like one morning when I don't go back to sleep and I listen to the whole episode. So there was a, I was I, I've run out of episodes. You know, of my favorite podcast. I have like twenty that I listen to, but all, there's inevitably that point when there's nothing and I'm scouting yeah. for like new podcasts. And there's this podcast called, um, i got to figure out what it's called, but it's like How to Help Me Sleep or something like that. And it's literally this guy rambling for an hour and a half about nonsense, and none of it connects, and the whole point is to bore you to sleep. 
That's and it's, amazing. It's such an amazing thing because he's actually mastered the art form of saying things that, that do connect. So he has a subject, mm-hmm. so you're kind of half able to listen, and but then he'll throw in like four other subjects that don't connect. So it's like he's mastered the art. It's like this weird poem, like prose poem that he's delivering uh, that is the perfect balance of completely boring and somewhat interesting and enough varied vocabulary that it's not like somebody counting sheep. It's genius. I think it's like one of the craziest things. Because how could, like, I would not be able to write this. If you asked me to, to improvise this or to write something like this, uh, I wouldn't be able to do it because it's like such a specific, you know, half asleep, half awake brain state that he's going after. Um, let me Let me look this up so I get the... See, I replicate this very thing when I feel this way by listening to sports talk radio podcasts where it's people that start with a topic and then ramble incessantly about things like 4-3 defenses and then straight to sleep. Oh. Wow. (laughs) That was an unenthusiastic wow, Julia. Okay, so it's called Sleep With Me. (laughs) <laughs> bedtime story time. That is not what most people think it's, it's about. No. It's help falling asleep and you you have to everybody has to listen to it because it's like it's like it's it's like it, it almost is like a Lewis Carroll Jabberwocky, you know, literary experiment on some level. And and the first episode I listened to I was like more intrigued so it kept me awake because I just wanted to hear how this guy but then now I've listened to it like the last couple nights and it's it's brilliant so everybody should check it out um and i i want somebody to like actually go through an episode and write an essay of that like makes something coherent out of the ramblings that this guy has done and he has the perfect boring voice it's like just just unique enough but not too unique to keep you awake oh, so <laughs> you gotta check it it's the it's weirdest like thing. every professor i had at cal state northridge yes yes so we should transition this into our first best of because you oh know, yeah we all listen yeah, to a lot of that. podcasts so I yeah. listened to a lot of podcasts this year and I've been really liking it. And I do want to side note that like, obviously we've been doing this podcast for years and now that I'm doing it for the radio and I'm hearing other, you know, so many other podcasts, it's like people are now treating it like it's a new thing post serial. And I think that's just hilarious. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, like someone at the, the launch meeting for, for radius yesterday was like, this is brand new. This is the wild, wild west. And I'm like, as soon as something calls, <laughs> as soon as someone calls it the wild, wild west, it is definitely not. Uh, right. <laughs> but I, I've been really liking. This is a really popular podcast, but Reply All from Gimlet. I love Reply All. It is I love so Reply All. consistently fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's so well done. Um, that everyone should go listen to that if you're not already. Uh, the one about so, the yeah. guy who created the pop up. Uh, yes. Ad. Yep. Oh my god. I was like, I hate this man, and yet this is a fascinating, yeah, fascinating article or a fascinating interview. So, what was your yeah. favorite podcast, Todd? Um, my favorite podcast is a podcast called My Favorite Album, um, where uh, a the host interviews um, a re- another recording artist about their favorite album. So you know you get like Jason Isbell talking about uh, Sticky Fingers. Um, or sometimes they'll interview um, someone who's not a singer but talks about their favorite album, and they go through it. So I love that one um, because I, I'm I'm a real geek, as you guys know, um, for people talking about art in a way, but also just about hearing people talk about the things that inspire them artistically, other artists. 
And that one is consistently interesting. And the fascinating thing that I've learned is when people pick albums I've never heard before and they talk about them and they play the snippets of them. And then when I go and listen to the album myself on Spotify or something, it actually means something more to me as I'm listening to it yeah. because of the relationship it's it has to, uh, to that other singer. So I, I'm, I'm addicted to, uh, to that particular show, my favorite album. Cool. What about you, Ryder? Um, the, the, I think the best podcast out there is Strangers by um, Leah Tao. Or Leah Tao. Um, she's like one of the um, one of the main moth founders, like one of those storytelling, mm-hmm. um, you know. And, but now she has her own podcast. And if you guys haven't listened to it, it's incredible. I haven't. No, I've never I haven't even heard of it. Heard of it. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's. I mean, it's like on a whole nother level. This. She is such an amazing producer and interviewer, and she crafts these stories with people. But then she also makes. She tells her own stories constantly. And as a starting episode, um, it's about it's about four or five episodes back where from where they're at right now. It's called "A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Woman." Cool. And it starts with a. Um, a story, a great story that she's helped, you know, that she's helped produce uh, somebody else's story, a personal story. And then the second half of the episode, she just starts talking about her own life and being an artist and starting this podcast that you're listening to. And um, it was one of those podcasts I was listening to at one in the morning and I just had tears like streaming mm-hmm. down my cheeks while I was listening to it. It's so beautiful. And, you know, she just manages, like, she's moved beyond, like, I, I feel like The Moth and a lot of those kinds of storytelling podcasts have... Um, you know, there's, there's such a performative element to them and it, it's gotten kind of formulaic and there's this, I mean, a lot of times it just feels like stand-up comedy masquerading as storytelling. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just, and this is, she's she's really still digging into the art of storytelling and um, she has a really interesting voice herself. So cool. it's a little like unradio friendly in a lot of ways. Like, um, you know, when you first start listening to it, it she, there's something about her voice that requires you to sort of lean forward and pay more attention um, and I just I I'm, I I love her. I love this whole thing. It's so yeah. Check it out if, if you guys haven't heard. Yeah, it. that sounds awesome. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Cool. Awesome. All right, let's. All right, Todd. What uh, do we got? To, let's move to the the purpose of our show. Let's talk about uh, our favorite book. So let's talk about uh, your favorite book that you read on the show, and then just uh, the favorite thing you read uh, all last year. So, writer, what do you got? Uh, so favorite thing that we read on the show, which is interesting, I went, but you know, I was going back and looking at old episodes, like our list to try and, we didn't really read a whole lot this last year. Um, (laughs) so it was a pretty easy selection. Uh, Wolf and White Van. Was that Uh, this year? Wolf and White Van was amazing. Yeah, we read that last January. No, last January. Wow. Yeah, this was our first book of the year. And it's for me the, I mean, hands down, like, I mean, it's one of the best books, most haunting, Mm -hmm. most original. Um, so you know, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to reread it again. I mean, I just love it so much and it's so weird. And you, you, it's, I think I said this when we, on the episode, it's like one of those books that could never be a TV show, could never be a movie, can only be a book. Mm-hmm. And that is just too cool. Um, you really so. got to listen to the audiobook. If you want to read it again, listen to the audiobook. Yeah. Oh, I should. John Darnielle does a really good job of reading because I read it and then I listened to the audiobook afterwards because I wanted to be back in that world. It, he's really good. And Man. that book, I've given it to so many students and I've recommended it to a ton of people. And you know what that book also did? Is it like I, I was not into the mountain goats. Like, 
It just no. his voice was annoying. I didn't like the songs. <laughs> and then and then you spent the rest of the year listening to the mountain. And I spent the rest of the year listening to the mountain guys. I've like gone through all their albums. Yes, totally. yeah, because he's a genius. He's yeah. such a good. He's such a great writer, and he yeah, it translates uh, from both forms. I yeah, I, I had the same experience, man. Like like that they put out an album last year about wrestling, and man, that touched me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Wow. Well, All I right, forgot. What was your favorite uh, n- oh. non-disco book writer? Yeah. Um. So it's kind of a cheat because I haven't finished it yet. Mm. But, <laughs> uh, but I think it's okay because it's a it's a poetry book. So uh, I've become I've I've found my new favorite poet. Like I'm obsessed with this person. Um, and it was thankfully at the end of the year one of these end of the year things that the New York Times did in their book reviews was they asked. Um, a bunch of writers and famous people what their favorite poems were mm-hmm. which is it was such a cool thing because you know it's just nice to hear poetry recommendations from a variety of people with different backgrounds and so like i ended up like discovering a bunch of new poems and poets that i'd never heard of just from this one article and the one that that, that i am now in love with is this a woman named aracelis gourmet and the book is Kingdom Animalia. Mm, and cool. I, I, this woman, her poetry is just the best. Uh, and the, 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 the thing that got me is who, I really, I honestly can't remember who recommended, which famous person. I think it was a writer, um, but I just, I wrote down all the poets. And I didn't write down who recommended them from this article, but they had just quoted the, the end of the title poem, Kingdom Animalia. Um, and I just want to read what I read that kind of made me, become obsessed with her. Um, There's just the last two stanzas of of the poem. One day, not today, not now, we will be gone from this earth where we know the gladiolas. My brother, this noise, some love, you I love with all my brain and breath, will be gone. I've been told today to consider this as I ride the long tracks out and dream so good. I see a plant in the window of the house my brother shares with his love, their shoes, and there he is, asleep in bed, with this same woman whose long skin covers all of her bones in a city called Oakland, and their dreams hang above them a little like a chandelier, and their teeth flash in the night. Oh, body, oh, body, be held now by whom you love. Whole years will be spent underneath these impossible stars when dirt's the only animal who will sleep with you and touch you with its mouth. Okay. Super depressing. I'm gonna, yeah, but it's yeah. What I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna <sighs> kill myself. But here's the thing: she's incredibly. Oh. She. I mean, what? It, it's 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 not always that dark. But right. what she she's also very political and specific. Like she has poems where she mentions Bush or you know contemporary events. But then um, she also has these like she has an ode to the watermelon, which is. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, it's actually Naruto wrote an ode to watermelon too, and she she, it's brilliant. It's like one of the cool like it, she manages to work the watermelon frame to describe the ways that people eat watermelon and, um, but the one that really killed me and you know because like when I got the book I was like I don't even know how to pronounce her name I don't know if it's a man or a woman and um and you know there's this I can't roll my R's. To save my life. <laughs> and you know, you know that joke. You know the joke of like, um, you know, like we, 
like the newscaster who says like you know senorita and right. like we always and it's like that big joke in um what movie is it is it anchorman or there's like the one care oh no it's uh bruce almighty yes I, I just feel like it's something that americans often love to do is like mock the people who pronounce uh, a foreign word correctly <laughs> like um, guacamole <laughs> yeah, of course. But, well, you know, and, and, I, and I've always been of two minds of it. It's like, I understand. It's, you know, like, I, I almost have fallen into the, like, the English, as in people from England, never try to pronounce. They just anglify or anglicize every foreign word. And I almost think that's better. Because, like, you know, you just say herb. Don't even say, try and say herb. Like, just, <laughs> eat, you know, because it's like, it's a complicated issue. But then she has this poem. And, you know, like I said, her name is Aracelis. So this is the poem and it's so beautiful. And it reminded me of, you know, uh, I've read on this, this podcast before um, some of Tony Hoagland's mm-hmm. uh, language-based poetry. And this one reminded me of that. So I wanted to read it. Ode to the Little R. Little propeller working between the two fields of my A's. Making my name a small boat that leaves the port of old San Juan or Ponce. Where my grandfather, Miguel, on a boat or in an airplane with a hundred or so others leaving the island for work, cities, in winters that would break their bones, make them old, old men out of all of them, factory workers, domino players, little islands themselves who would eat and be eaten by Chicago, New York, the wars they fought without being able to vote for the president, little propeller of their names, Francisco, Raimundo, Arelis, Margarita, Hernan, Roberto, Reina, little propellers of our names delivering the cargo of blood to the streets of Holyoke, Brooklyn, New London, Ojai, where the teacher says, say your name sweetly, (laughs) and the beautiful propeller working between the two fields of my A's, and the teacher saying, oh, you mean our Rosselis, or Roberto, or Margarita, like the drink, and the R sounding like a balloon deflating in the room, sad and sagging. I am hurt. It is, if, it is as if I handed her all my familiar trees and flowers, every drawing of the family map and boats and airplanes and quattros and cokies, and she used her English to make an axe and tried to chop them down. But R, little propeller of my name, small and beautiful monster changing shapes, you win. You fly around the room, little bee, upsetting the teacher and making all of class 310A laugh. You fly over the yard in our mouths as our bodies make airplanes over the grass. You, little propeller, are taking over the city. You are the sound of cars racing, the sound of bicycle spokes fitted with playing cards to make it sound like we are going fast. This is our ode to you, little R, little machine of our names, simple as a heart, just working, always there when we go to the grocery, there in the songs we sing in our sleep. Wow. That was awesome. Yeah. That should be so, read in every high school in America. Yeah. Right? She's brilliant. So, yeah. And, I mean, she she's all over the map as far as what she's writing about. And so she has two collections out. I'm going through both of them. Uh, Kingdom Animalia is her more recent one. And her older one is called Teeth. And uh, it's highly recommended. Cool. And what's her name again? Aracelis Germay. G-I-R-M-A-Y. Okay. So Girmay, maybe? I, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. But I am going to buy her book directly. Awesome. All right. Me too. Julia, what about you? What was your Damn. favorite disco book and your favorite non-disco book? Ugh, well, I forgot we read Wolf and White Van, which I really loved. But uh, I would have to say my favorite was A Manual for Cleaning Women, which I'm guessing might be yours too, Todd. 
It is mine as well. <laughs> that is correct. So I will let you talk about it, um, but I, I'll give my honorable mention, and I cannot believe like this ranks so high for me, to Lumberjanes. I mean, like I really yes. love I, Lumberjanes. I have not stopped thinking about Lumberjanes since we read it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, Lumberjanes yeah. gets the... Um, most likely to randomly rant about it award you know uh you know you guys know what i mean though is when people are like oh graphic novels are or like there's no young feminist literature i mean no one says that there's tons of young feminist literature but yeah, if gonna... i'm trying to I, I, was, I was just trying to imagine who that person was oh there's no young feminist literature <laughs> but you know chardonnay in new york city <laughs> you know what i really need <laughs> But I there's no was, hipsters it, in Brooklyn anymore, <laughs> and they're sad about that. That's confusing. <laughs> that that person's not real. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I just it really I think about it a lot, um, and I know we read it kind of recently, but I've lent it to friends. They've mm-hmm. given it back. I've lent it to more friends. So you know, it was just the most delightful of a year of pretty either depressing or horrible books that we read. So in terms of books that actually brought joy, I mean, Lumberjanes was such a great pick. So thanks again to the New York public library for bringing it to us. And the thing about that book also is it has made me really appreciate Gwen from the New York public library a lot, who Mm -hmm. I have to email by the way, because I have a student who reads only uh, showbiz biographies and political nonfiction who wants to read a novel and i'm like i have no idea what you should read um (laughs) but gwen will know but that gwen picked that book and knew that we would like it like three disparate people would like it and she was right yeah well sometimes we agree we always agree when the book is really good right that no sometimes writer is like you know, oh, yeah. let me Sometimes let me be the contrarian here and say, <laughs> not only do I not like this book, I think it's pretentious, and this woman, it's always a woman, is a horrible person, a bad mother. I was going to say, I was the defender of Animorphs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, before we go to the Manual for Cleaning Women, um, or a Manual for Cleaning Women, I, I want to say, like, one thing that I really loved about the book, because we started the year with Jenny Ophel, and I like that book, Department of Speculation, but mm-hmm. a Manual for Cleaning Women ended up like it was so unpretentious that that's what I remember it for. That its reality was so um, not self indulgent. So right. you know that's why it made the top of my list too. Well, um, the the reason I loved it um, is all the reasons we talked about in the episode itself. But it's sometimes when I think about books, I I can only place them in the year in which I read them. Um, which mm. is to say that a book seems like, oh, that was a book that was important to me in 1997, or that was mm-hmm. a book that was important in 2002. I feel that way a lot about um, Jonathan Franzen novels, to be perfectly honest mm-hmm. with you, that they are endemic of a specific time. And I think, in fact, this year with his book Purity, which I have not read, we actually saw a backlash of that for him because... Yeah. He was so out of his own time um, with that book, seemingly, um, with the response of the culture and also his response as a human being uh, to the culture. So in that regard, I think of A Manual for Cleaning Woman as a timeless classic. Yeah. Like that is a book that is going that if more people had read it in 1980 or 1985 or 1975 when she was writing some of these stuff, some of these stories, 
it would be one of those perennial bestsellers because schools would be ordering it forever and ever and ever. But I think now it's it's actually at the perfect time because readers can embrace this kind of woman, this complicated woman um, mm -hmm. that she writes about. And I, I think that it came out this year when there's all this discussion, I think culturally about what are acceptable norms for women? Can a woman be sexual? All this, you know, crazy shit that I thought we litigated, um, you know, in the 1950s. Um, and she's writing about these these difficult people and these sometimes unlikable people in really empathetic ways, uh, but not really empathetic, but relatable ways, I think uh, is a statement about the, the way we live today. So I absolutely loved A Manual for Cleaning Women. And it also is one of those things like I was talking about a moment ago in relation to the podcast, my favorite album, where I, I the fact that that was Dave Cullen's teacher and Dave Cullen had this very close relationship with her. Yeah. It actually changes the way I view that book because it changes the way I view his book Columbine and his ability to write about all these disparate real people in a way that allows you, the reader, to make your judgments without you know, being overly biased in one way or the other, uh, which I think is amazing. So there, I have a lot of stuff wrapped up in that book, essentially. Yeah. But, but it's also just great literature. I think it's just, just a, a, a truly wonderful book. Um, my favorite non-disco book of the year. Oh, did you pick your non-disco book, Julia? I did not talk about it yet, no. What is that? Uh, well, you go. You go ahead. You started your sentence. I'll go last. Uh, okay. okay. My favorite non-disco book of the year is a tough one because I read a lot of great stuff. Um, but I would say it is All This Life by Joshua Moore, which I believe I talked about briefly when I talked about when Julie and I did our solo episode. Ryder was, um, I don't remember mm -hmm. what Ryder was doing. He's in Bali or Bali. Is that how you pronounce it? Bali? Bali? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bali? It's not Bali, Bali Total Fitness. <laughs> We've been over this. <laughs> Um, All This Life came out this summer by Joshua Moore. Um, it's a book about all these disparate people that are tied together by a singular event, which in this case is a boy in the back of a car driving over the Bay Bridge, or the Golden Gate Bridge, pardon me, um, in San Francisco, watches as a band of people playing instruments walk across the bridge and then jump off to their death holding these instruments. And he films this event on his phone and he posts it on YouTube and it becomes a bit of a sensation. And it's all these people that are somehow intertwined with this specific video. And again, it's, it's one of these books that the, the premise of it being about our interactions with, with social media and with the internet and with culture and our desire to film horrible things and all that stuff seems like it might end up being anachronistic because of that sort of topic, because in 20 years, we'll just be jacked into things and you know projecting them out of our eyeballs or something. But he's really talking about our lack of connectivity and, and the way that our culture is um, allowing trauma to happen without interaction with other people around it. And I, it's just a, a really well done, well written book. But more importantly, Josh Moore is a writer I've always admired but he used to write sort of these gritty kind of Bukowski-ish books about drunks getting into fights and bars in San Francisco. And he just took this, which I loved incidentally, but he just took this huge leap 
with this book where he became a completely different writer. And it was this leap that I don't think a lot of people expected where he left being sort of this cult writer and became sort of this major American writer uh, with this one book. And so for me also, just as a reader, I was really compelled by it. So it, it, it's my favorite non-disco book of the year and, and, and probably behind um, A Manual for Cleaning Women, my number two book of the year. Wow. Wow. Great stuff. Not Animorphs? All right. Uh, <laughs> Animorphs is close. Kidnap mm-hmm. Christmas Bride. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we read a lot of bad books this that year. Kidna- Let me just state for the record here. So the other night, um, we went to dinner. Wendy and I went to dinner with two of the people who recommended the Kidnap Christmas Bride to me. Uh-huh, and they're like, uh-huh. no, no, that, there's no, I don't know what you're talking about. That There's no God in that book. I'm like, oh, no, there's a lot of God in the book. And then I was talking about the whole, um, the, uh, home invasion and all that stuff. And they're like, oh, I don't think that was the book we thought we were recommending to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would make sense. Wendy read the book. She said it's, but yeah, it's about your average romance novel. So there you go. All right. Wow. Yeah. So all right. what was your favorite non-disco so, book, Julia? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if our listeners have noticed this. They probably have. But because of how often we record, which was not as often this year as we wanted, but still, you know, we're reading at a pretty good pace. Um, We don't often read really long books, so I almost always try to read a couple of really, really long books per year because I love the experience of just taking a really long time to dive deep. Um, So I read one of the most popular books of the year, um, A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Did you read it, Todd? No, I haven't read it. I own it, though. It's very Um, big. It's like a thousand pages long. Um, and I can't remember if I talked about it in another episode, probably not, but it was, you talked about how you were sobbing while reading it. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, this book was recommended to me by our friends over at books on the nightstand, another book podcast. Um, and I, it really stuck with me. And as I said, the last time we talked about it, it was just a really well done portrait of depression and horror. Um, so I can't say that I loved it and that I felt very positive <laughs> at any point while reading it. <laughs> but in terms of an emo- immersive emotional experience, it was just, it was really great. So I think a lot of our listeners would really love it. And it, it, when people are looking for that next huge book to read, mm-hmm. um, who crave that experience like I do, um, that is definitely one they should go for. So that was my was favorite. A, it was a finalist for the National Book Award and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And it lost to, oh, well, I guess it might be, I don't the actually. The Orphan Master's Son. Right, right. By Adam Johnson. Yeah, that was supposed to be really good, too. Damn it, there are so many good books. I know. Oh, it's so <laughs> I read a lot of good books last year, though. I, I mean, a ton, an absolute ton of them. So I, because I end up reading a lot of books because I read books along with my students sometimes also. Um, but th- last year was a great year for crime fiction. So if I could recommend one more book, The Cartel yeah, do it. by Don Winslow. So if you're sort of fascinated by uh, Sean Penn's horrible journalism in his interview with Oh Chapo, my God. That was worse. That was the worst ever. thing I've ever read. Yeah, oh, was God. Um, if you want to know what the, what the reality of the cartels are, Don Winslow's novel, uh, The Cartel, it's, it's fiction, obviously, but Don Winslow is an absolute authority on the Mexican cartels. And he actually wrote 
the response piece, essentially, to uh, Sean Penn's essay about why he was so wrong and all the things he doesn't know. And I think it was on um, it was on Deadline or something. But Can... Don Winslow is a is a, a genius, a great crime writer, and the cartel is just an absolute masterpiece. It's like six hundred pages. It's it's awesome. That sounds really good, but I want to go back to the horror that was the Sean Penn piece oh, for a second. Um, I just want to email out the one sentence or a couple sentences I emailed to you guys to be like, <laughs> what the hell is happening? Uh, so, yeah. So to give context, Sean Penn threw a super bottle or something, arranged an interview slash hangout session with <laughs> El Chapo. <laughs> I still don't understand so this at all. It's absurd. But he here is a couple sentences from very late in the essay, which is basically the most random stream of consciousness, followed by the five worst interview questions I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> they were like, "How was your childhood? Tell us about your mother." Bad. I'm out of questions. Uh, <laughs> anyway, here's what so, I emailed to you guys. I just, the absurdity of this situation just blows my mind. Okay. Chapo puts his arm around my shoulder and renews his <laughs> request that I see him in eight days. Oh, God. I'll I know be this saying, line. <laughs> I'll be saying goodbye now, he says. At this moment, oh. this, remember, this is Sean Penn writing. Oh, God. At this moment, I expel a minor traveler's flatulence. Oh, God. So, and no. then he writes in parentheticals, sorry. And with oh. it, I experienced the same chivalry he'd offered when putting Kate to bed, as he pretends not to notice. We escape its subtle broom, and I join my colleagues inside the bungalow. God. <laughs> traveler's Flatulence is a great title for something. Uh, a band. A minor Traveler's Flatulence? Is That's that like a minor? great punk yes. band. Minor Traveler's Flatulence. <laughs> so, Tom yeah. Sizemore. Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> Tom Sizemore My... is a minor <laughs> traveler's flatulence. <laughs> Just Tom Sizemore in like a like a cloud of shit outfit, smoking a cigarette. Hey, hey, you got I that. travel the world and I interview people. I'm minor traveler's flatulence. <laughs> I reveal truths about foreign people. Oh God. I wow, like that weird. line that Sean Penn has uh, where he's talking about his friend Rodrigo and he says he is an owl who flies with the falcons. Oh. God. Yeah. If uh, my lovely wife uh, quoting Contact said the best thing um, or paraphrasing Contact, she said they should have sent a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh. That's great. Uh, All right, so where were we? Have we finished our books? For we're, the we're done with yeah. books. Let's go right. to uh, movies. Julia, favorite movie? Ooh. Ooh. I wasn't really prepared for this. I just saw, and I know it came out last year, um, I just saw Room, which is a book that I loved, um, and then I was hoping to not see the movie because I thought it would be terrible. Um, and then I heard it was good, and I saw it, and it was, it was really good. Um, so I, I really that. enjoyed that movie. On my um, list. Did you guys uh, read the book? Yes, the book is amazing. So, it's deeply yeah. unsettling. I don't really want to say what it's about because what is amazing about the book mm -hmm. and the movie actually pulls off is that it's told from 
the point of view of a character with an extremely limited worldview. And I thought that would be impossible to film, but it is done really well because Emma Donahue, who wrote the book, also wrote or at least contributed to the screenplay. So mm. it was really yeah, cool I and want... a really good literary adaptation. Yeah, I was going to bring up Room. Uh, I, I don't think, I think my favorite movie ended up is still Spotlight, but oh, Room yeah. is such a good. close second to me. And I think Room is one of the best directed films I've seen in so long. It is so brilliant. And like my heart was pounding. Um, oh yeah, the the, the the changes that that movie goes through are, is astounding, and the, the the like the less you know about it, the better. I yep. I think it's brilliant. It's a masterpiece. Um, and yeah, and it turns out that that director, I guess, is becoming my favorite director because I thought like a missed masterpiece from last year was this movie called Frank, which is available on Netflix Instant Watch, and everybody should go out and watch it if you've ever, if you think Almost Famous was a good movie, you will love the movie Frank. I love Almost Famous. I can't okay, then go. It's Michael Fassbender, Domhnall Gleeson, and for some reason, it just got shelved. And I think it's brilliant. And it's like so much about this, the music world right now. Anyway, but it's very different from Room. But I, you know, so I, I didn't even connect that it was the same director. And so after Room, I, I was like, oh. And so I got to go back and watch even his earlier films because he's clearly a huge talent that I have. Spotlight was really good too, though. But more of a classic. It less... It's just just a really well written, well acted movie. Yeah, and, but hold on. But the way you even said that, I think is is why I loved it so much. Is because that's becoming harder and more rare to find. You're right. And, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think that um, a movie that simply lets the story be told and also asks the question, approaching a scene or approaching a story, uh, what would what would have really happened? What would it right. have really been like for this to have happened? Nobody's asking that anymore. We get more of the Aaron Sorkin. Like, when I saw Steve Jobs, it was like, Jesus. You know, it's like this compression of time and place and these huge sweeping lines that sum up 20 years of design and to like a second in a garage. And it was so cheesy in that regard. And it's well written, of course, because it's Sorkin, it's brilliant and all that. But it's this approach to filmmaking that doesn't ask a sort of basic question, which is what is actual real life like? And what would these yeah. things have been like if you really were going through them? And Spotlight nailed that on, and I mean, even our acting style has gotten so Christian Bale, mm-hmm. you know, giant performances of like, like, that's why the big short, I just wanted to shoot myself. Cause it's like, this is, there's no reality where this is the way people talk. There's no reality where people are this smart and they have flashbacks this intense and, you know, and Spotlight just, told the fucking story it just let the actors act let the the the, you know the scenes play out and and captured the time period perfectly with production design and wasn't so heavy-handed about its thematics and you know it's it's a smart movie and you know like i haven't seen a movie since the master that i felt did the same sort of like hands-off approach and let you interpret it and i can't wait to see it again because i feel like the master it will grow like i've seen the master maybe six times now and you know, that's one of those movies that the first time I saw it, I was completely confounded and thought it was kind of boring, if anything. And now every time I watch it, I keep th- I think it's it goes another level deeper. And I feel like Spotlight's going to be the same way. So it's my favorite movie. Cool. Spotlight is my favorite movie of the year, too. And for all the reasons Ryder said, but also for the very pure sadness of the fact that that kind of journalism is dead. Gone. Gone. Completely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you live Long in Southern gone. California and uh, you read the Los Angeles Times, the, they've gutted the, 
the investigative report. They, they've got all the reporters. I mean, the best book critic in America is no longer at the LA Times, our friend David Ulan. But just the idea that a newspaper would take months and months and months and months to investigate it, they can't do it now because they're afraid that, you know, some blogger is going to put it out tonight, unsourced, you know, and they, they just can't do it. And so it was really sad to me also having grown up in newspaper buildings because my mom worked in newspapers her entire life. So, you know, she, she didn't have a babysitter. We'd go to the newspaper with her. Just that the, the way journalists talk, the speed and the action of a newspaper, all that stuff is gone. It's dead. And it is true when they're just, when they're describing what spotlight is right in the beginning, they're like, well, there's, four or five of us we just sit around and wait until something interests us i'm like this is the biggest fantasy of all like yeah. <laughs> i've never heard anyone say that about their job like yeah gotta it's, wait it's till there's shame. something good but i mean that used to be how newspapers yeah. actually ran you know that they would they'd take the time and they'd run you know thousands and thousands of words in an article and maybe you'll see some more of it in fact actually where i live in palm springs the local newspaper here the desert sun actually has this real devotion to long-form investigative journalism that they're doing and they put it online um, and they run it over several days and it's it's actually sort of bracing to see but you know the thing that i was fascinated by and i say i've said fascinated a lot today is the level of consistent performance by every single actor in that movie there wasn't there wasn't a downbeat from the performances on anybody and, and that's so important because I feel like the movie is about the sort of, um, the, the, you know, the, the banality of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's the, the sort, but it's, it's, it's also just about the resistance to uncovering the truth. And it's not like, it's not a bunch of villains in a room, like, wringing their hands. It's like right. your friend who also works at the newspaper who just doesn't care. It right. doesn't think it's important and thinks you're wasting your time because you're ruffling people's feathers. And like just the bureaucracy and how simple it is for a huge story like priests molesting children on a massive scale to be completely buried under normal life. And mm-hmm. just just the pressure of like the way things go and how that builds up over years. That's that you know, that that's a friend that you have a drink with who says, like, eh, I wouldn't do that story. Right. And that, that the way that those scenes just play out as like calm collected sort of small conversations the way they actually do in real life and that's what's so beautiful about a you know a journalist who's you know on the street talking mm-hmm. to people is that you have the potential to push beyond those and just uncover some really ugly truths about situations and we need that and like when mark ruffalo starts you know the, the climax of the movie comes out of nowhere it's right. like he's just arguing about how they need to be publishing this story and like i'm sitting there in the movie theater and i'm like i'm crying i don't even know why i'm just crying right. because this man you know there's there's clearly backstory and history and he's like clearly separated from his wife but we don't even need to go into that they never even touch on it works. no because you don't need it yeah, all you need that. is the simplicity of his performance and the simplicity of like the way these behaviors play out on screen and like oh i just I yeah. love it so much. I thought great it was great. Movie. I loved it. All right. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's change gears briefly, and then we'll get back to the arts. Um, favorite uh, shirt, Julia. Let's see if you get something different this year. Favorite shirt? Yes, favorite shirt. Uh, yes, I will retire my Brave New World sweatshirt that I always <laughs> refer to. <laughs> uh, 
It can be I... any article of clothing. It doesn't need to be favorite shirt. Favorite article. Okay. Of all right. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. Favorite article of clothing. I'm gonna pull a rider. I went to Austin and I bought some cowboy boots. That was like November seventh. I wore them. I have literally worn them every single day since. Like I with a little them. mini skirt and a half top. Uh no, with <laughs> jeans. <laughs> With jeans and my Brave New World sweatshirt. <laughs> and where did you get these uh, cowboy boots in Austin? Oh, I got them at some boot place. Guys, that's a thing. There's okay. all kinds of boot places. Were you, um, with, they, were you with our friend Bree? I was not with Bree, um, but she approved later. Okay. <laughs> uh, but no, they were great. I mean, I've never actually owned cowboy boots before, and... Man, people love them. People comment on them every single day. But they're they're both they're kind of like wearing sneakers that look cool. So they've been great. My, that's right. my favorite article of clothing. Ryder, favorite article of clothing. I, I have no clue. I, I mean, I don't even know if I bought new clothes this year. I'm trying to remember. I, I, I really. I mean, I've this question my is boots. stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> you guys say my boots because year. I love nice boots and like I, I you know, but I don't think I bought new boots this year. So what am I going to say? Um. I don't know. Yeah, What's your sorry. favorite article of clothing you bought in D? Yeah, I was going to ask. Oh, that. that's a good one. Um, <laughs> uh, wow. Hold on. What is it? There, there have definitely been some, some cute ones. Uh, you answer the question, and I'll, uh, I'll think about it. Okay. So my favorite your... article of clothing this year was my uh, Jason Isbell tour shirt. I wore it pretty much every moment that it was clean, and then a lot of moments mm. when it wasn't clean. I wore it mm. constantly. Every single day. Wow. Yeah. I fucking love that shit. Our, our, our listeners well, I guess we already know wow. your answer to the favorite music section. You are, uh, you are incorrect. Correct. <laughs> um, All right. I have no idea, man. I mean, Indy just, look, everything he wears is so goddamn cute. Does he have uh, shoes? Does oh, Indy yeah. have boots? No, because he's, shoes. I mean, we, he, 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 he takes after me, which means he has super fat feet. And he can't fit into any of his baby shoes. So, like, the only shoes we give him are these, like, little leather slipper shoes. They're, like, they, they just kind of wrap around his foot. They're not, like, they don't have their own form. Because, seriously, his, his feet are so thick. They're just gigantic. Um, you know, like, I wear, like, double E width shoes because my, my feet are so tall. I have hobbit feet. Um, That's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> isn't that ironic? Uh... <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know, man. I mean, my mom... Oh, here, okay. Well, here's the, the favorite article. This is the sentimental answer. My grandmother, who uh, passed away three years ago, um, before she died, years ago, had knit sweaters for all the future grand- oh my and God. grandkids. So oh. he's able to wear a sweater from his great-grandmother, oh. who he never even met. So oh that's got to be my favorite article of clothing. Cause that's wow. So this is, this nice. is the moment when I cry on the podcast yeah. again. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty writer. Yeah, and it's like, I know. And then, like, I had sweaters that she knit me when I was a kid that were, like, identical. So it's like we have the sweaters from me, and then he has his own sweater. Yeah, and, like, that's. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. What a a treasure that is. Like, that's an actual treasure. Like, if the house is burning, grab that sweater. That's that's the sweater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. because it could just keep going, right? Keep passing it along. Oh, man. All right. Uh, Ryder, favorite TV of the year? Um, the Nick is just the greatest thing ever. Like, I just think it's the best Oh, yeah, that medical show? Yeah, uh, Clive Owen. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are not 
knowing about it because it's on Cinemax, but Steven Soderbergh directs every single episode. It's in its second season. Or the second season might be over now, but I'm a couple episodes behind, so I'm somewhere in the middle of the second season. Uh, but I finally started watching the first season this year, even though it's a year old, and I can't recommend a, a show higher. It's perfect. It's so well made. It's so well written. Um, it, you know, Steven Soderbergh is a kind of a crazy director. He goes all over the place. So some episodes are like, a little hit or miss as far as the camera work and even the acting, but it doesn't matter. Um, it ends up being some of the greatest storytelling and, you know, a real um, a necessary show. It seems like a show about a hospital in 1900 wouldn't really connect with today, but it completely does because it's about the need for science and um, evidence uh, moving forward. Uh, and, you know, so in a weird way, it becomes exactly what we need in an age of global warming and, uh, you know, uh, Republican stupidity to, and also new age bullshit, you know, pseudoscience, because that's, inc has an incredible staying power, you know, yes. people still believe in psychics and ghosts like uh, some people on this well. podcast. And so it's very important <laughs> to have a show that explores, but also um, it explores addiction so interestingly and um you know it's also about the birth of psychiatry i mean it's it's there's so much going on in this show and um yeah brilliant all right wow wow moving along julia aha all right well um so this is not my favorite but i do want to say i i watched making a murderer uh which reminded me which i liked but also annoyed me uh, and then it reminded me that truly the best uh in that genre this year was the jinx the robert yeah. durst oh that was miniseries really that was yeah. so much better to me than making a murderer that i'm kind of horrified that uh they're being compared because to to wonder if someone who has been convicted is actually innocent while that is obviously an important thing to do is to doubt our justice system yes i agree that's good um like the implications of that of you know like if if we exonerate him in the public view because the documentary was really well made and then mm -hmm. maybe we have this like crazy rapist murder out on the streets that really scares me but to watch robert durst who's clearly insane slowly and almost intentionally implicate himself was just one of the most fascinating things yeah. I've ever seen. Um, so I don't know. I really loved it. And I, I think the last five minutes of that, which are, you know, famous God. Like, mic dropping, yeah. jaw dropping moment, is some of the luckiest, you know, recording in history. So I but really love the Don't you get a little bit uncomfortable? Don't you guys get uncomfortable with the, that, the direction of those kinds of shows, though? Like the fact that I, I found the jinx, the. Like, you know, the first time that I really... Because I started this with Serial, which was great, but <clears throat> it started to give me this feeling. And then the Jinx definitely gave me this feeling of... Uh, the, there are babies screaming in my hallway. So yeah. If you're hearing we, that, we that's... Hear. They're, not, um, they're not captives, uh, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, uh, so, I, uh, I, I guess just the concept that, you know, life and death, like, people were murdered. People are... are and, yes. and, and there were there. So whether you're fighting for innocence or guilt, I get uncomfortable with the fact that there's like a cool opening credit sequence to these right. shows. Like, you know, let's set an eel song where they literally sing in the song, I need fresh blood. And it's like this true detective style opening credit sequence. And it's like, can we, that's, 
you're, you're making such entertainment out of horrific events, and I, I get it. Like, I'm entertained. Of course I am. I'm on the edge of my seat, too, and I want these shows to exist. I just think we need to, like, take our foot off the gas, like, the creator, the, the, the people that direct these things and the networks that promote them and the way we talk about them, and, like... That, that's why I appreciate like the older ones like stair, the staircase you know which is and and even the um, the the um, Paradise Lost trilogy mm -hmm. that aired on HBO I just think there was a more delicate r r balance between entertainment of of a true crime and I don't know and, and the jinx got into yeah. some weird territory where they were withholding evidence and you know ex and the fact that he didn't get arrested until the show was airing. It made this sort of spectacle out of real life and death situations. I just, I get uncomfortable with that. The, o the um, only yeah. way, the only thing that doesn't do that really is something like the first 48, you know, that show on, on A&E that follows the first right. 48 hours of a murder investigation from the cop's right. point of view, right. where you get all the banality and horror at the same time, but there's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of the production value basically right uh, i mean what you're what you're asking for is true documentary filmmaking with no musical bias you know <laughs> no, it's not no. even just musical it's just uh, you know i mean the I way that they, the, the way they space this information out is intentionally to tell the best story right it's not to give you the information it, you know it's you know the fact that we split them into episodes like the but it's not could a, have been it's not a public thing. service i mean you know it's right. it, it's right. it's entertainment i mean you, you can't have it both ways I mean, I, I guess I both agree to begin with. Like, yeah, we're I mean, at I, the point where that's where our entertainment is other people's real suffering? tragedies. Yeah, yeah. suffering I mean, like actual suffering, and then we exploit that. I don't know. I I, I just I just get queasy about it. I, I'm not saying like this is ethically wrong because I'm there watching it and enjoying it too. I just get a little uncomfortable. So I think I, I, think the, I totally agree with you. The forgetting of the I, victim often is the thing that bothers me, and that was the thing yeah. that actually bothered me about making a murderer is that yes. there was still a dead girl. You know? right. Yeah, right. Um, I, I agree with you. And that's why I say, I mean, obviously I consume it. I'm a nonfiction yeah. lover and I like crime stories, but I do feel like the public appetite for it is so crazy right now. And that's why I prefer the jinxes, because I'd rather see someone <laughs> go down for it because of the documentary right. mm -hmm. than right. a documentary possibly exonerate someone because people were very entertained right. that to me right. is so disturbing yeah. and i know that's the minority opinion of making a murder and probably serial and i've learned that i should probably never be on a jury yeah <laughs> because, because i'm like <laughs> but what if they did it um but like you know what i mean like i think yeah. that robert durst it was what i the reason that i picked it and is that like Oh my God, the screaming babies—they're so cute. Um. <laughs> there's, there's two of them. We, our neighbor is here too, Wyatt. It's oh, Wyatt awesome. and Indy. Oh, Wyatt! I've met Wyatt. Wyatt's yeah. an adorable child. Yeah. Yeah. Adorable um, child. But anyway, back to murder. Uh, Robert Durst—it—it <laughs> it was like the experience of making the documentary, like him calling them and like asking to be interviewed and. All of right. that was that was more interesting to me as right. a form. He was bringing his own downfall. It, right. Sure. Yeah, sure. Because so that felt lunatic. Shakespearean. Yeah. Right. That felt yeah. Shakespearean, whereas yeah. the other ones feel like, ooh, like let's all be detectives. And I'm right. like, I don't, I won't trust myself to be a detective. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> uh, right. My Time. favorite TV of the year was season two of Fargo. I didn't see season one of Fargo, so I don't know if season one was any good. Oh, season one no. was so good. Season two of Fargo, uh, 
I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed anything else on TV all year long. And then I watched it over the course of like three days. And then I was like, Wendy, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. So she watched it and she was like seven episodes in. And I was like, do you love it? Do you love it? Do you love it? She's like, well, it's good. But, you know, it's not quite my thing. It's more your thing. I was like, what do you mean it's my thing? She's like, well, you know, there's a bunch of guys that were in the shit, and then there's a bunch of mobsters that are after them. And I'm like, ah. oh, yeah. It's totally my thing. And also, like, a slight tongue-in-cheek comedy tone. Right, and a, little, and a little bit of UFO business. So, I, but I thought the acting in it was awesome. I thought Kirsten Dunst was amazing. I, I didn't recognize um, Ted Danson the first episode that he was in. I didn't realize it was Ted Danson. And uh, my old friend, um, the guy who played Michael Weston, Jeffrey Donovan, um, was in it, and he was great as a villain. I just and uh, the guy, who, uh, Fat Matt Damon. The, <laughs> I shouldn't call him that; that's horrible. But the, I don't remember the the actor's name. Um, uh, Jesse but, something. Yeah, Jesse Pinkerton. No, yeah. that's the guy from um, Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> Uh, from Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad. Jesse Plemons is that Plemons? something like that. He was so good. Plemons, I, I just. I think. I, I loved the depth of it. I loved the, the crime. I loved the comedy. I loved the way it was shot. I loved the laconic pacing. Um, I just absolutely loved it. And I just, every, every episode that I watched, I just enjoyed from beginning to end. Um, so that was, that was my, my favorite of the year. All right, we're almost done. Uh, writer, favorite music. <laughs> All right, so definitely the song of 2015 that I think everybody should be listening to and talking about is that um, I discovered this year this artist named Cold Specs. You guys ever heard of her? No. Uh, that's her stage name. I, I don't know her real name. I think it's even more bizarre than Cold Specs. Um, but she goes by Cold Specs. I, I think she's English. Um, and she does like sort of simple roots blues-based music, but she has like a unique voice, which is totally up my alley. That's like my... But anyway, she released a single this year called We Are Many. Okay. Then parentheses, Revisited. Mm. So it's We Are Many and then Revisited. And you listen to this song, and it's, you know, the lyrics, it's a, it's a acapella, so it's just her singing, and then some other voices come in to join her, um, and it's a super powerful, beautiful song. It starts off, and you're listening to the lyrics, or, you know, it's all kind of, like, uh, she talks about dirty kings, and, I, you know, it's kind of, like, gen- generic terms, and, but it's this haunting spiritual song, it sounds like, you know, it's something that could have been on the Oh Brother or Art Thou soundtrack, mm-hmm. it's like, and then, cool. right before it ends... The la- like it takes this this turn and the lyrics just say hands up don't shoot I can't breathe and you realize that it's a specific oh. reference to Eric Garner right. the man who was was killed by the NYPD and caught on video he was in a chokehold and then it's also a reference to Ferguson and it you realize that it's like one of these perfect songs like puts it in line with Strange Fruit and you know these amazing protest songs that manage to be specific and and tragic and emotional but also absolutely beautiful and timeless and it works in two directions because it's like invoking these current events but then musically is linked to a southern spiritual or even a field song tradition um so so that's like for me the song of 2000 every time i hear it it like gives me chills and i know i'm never going to listen to it without thinking about all the the political events that you know have been going on in our country especially this last year but my, my my song song that i've been listening to no joke every night for the last four weeks as i go to bed i listen to this song i i heard it in december and i cannot stop listening to it it's called bones 
by Dayarmon Edison. And, you know, this is one of those Spotify recommendations that right. is so genius. There's like this tradition of song that I love, which is just three chords with good lyrics, like really mm -hmm. simple songs, you know, um, the Thin Blue Flame by Josh Ritter. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a, a Dylan tradition. I mean, all the stuff that I like is kind of in this vein. But Bones is the most beautiful song. It's um, It starts with this line, like, you know, there's bones in a trunk at the foot of my bed. And it's always open to remind me that they're still dead. So it's like obviously about getting over this, some a loss, uh, you know, either someone actually died or it could be a breakup. <clears throat> but then the, the, lyrically, the first word of every verse is this progression. It goes from bones and then the next verse starts with pain. The next one, bruise and skin. And his voice is ascending as the emotion ascends, as we move outwards from bones to skin, like this bruise that's welling to the surface. And it's just so depressing and beautiful. And then finally, the whole band joins in for this final verse, which is just one sentence repeated over and over again. I'm so far from not caring, which is such great phrasing because he's not just like saying, simply saying, you know, I care a lot or right. I know I shouldn't care this much or even like I know time will make this easier. He's just saying all of that at once. You know, he's saying eventually I, I know I will reach the state of not caring, but I'm so far from that. I'm not there yet. And they're all singing it over and over and it just becomes this chant as the song dwindles down to a plucking guitar and Jesus Christ, if you don't love this song, then I will never understand you as a human being. And so, <laughs> what, but then I was sitting there and I, you know, I, I couldn't believe that I'd never heard of this because it's actually an old song. It like came out in 2005. And I'm like, who is this songwriter that De Armand Edison is the name of the band? I'm like, I've never heard of this. This is a master songwriter. And then of course I look it up. This is Justin Vernon who's the lead singer-songwriter of Bon Iver. This was his previous band. And uh. so I don't know if it just finally got released, but this is... And is, the members of this band went on to be in Megaphone, which is also an amazing band. So they're all, like, incredible songwriters and players. And this was his first band. And it's a completely different voice, because in Bon Iver, he sings in this falsetto. Um, and I didn't recognize... I had no idea. So now I'm listening to that album, but I'm telling you, just whatever you're doing, listen to the song and... I have already added it to my Spotify uh, playlist. Cool. All right. Julia, what do you got? Oh, God. Well, guys, I'm so basic. I I mean, the only answer for me is Adele, who I've loved from the second I saw her. Yeah. So I was overjoyed, overjoyed to hear her new album and then astounded that it was as good as it was. And It's a great album. Yeah, I mean, uh, over Thanksgiving weekend, my family was here and we just listened to it just nonstop and it was awesome it was so great and uh i love um oh what's the best song on there probably the new whitney houston-esque song all i ask which is just i think starting to get popular now yeah that's a heartbreaker um, but that that one's really good so yeah i mean like i'm always gonna love her she's the best I, it gives me such hope for humanity that she's as popular as she is like people do have taste her, uh... Yeah, did you see her? Did you see her karaoke with James Corden? Uh, yes. Uh, oh my gosh! That was gosh. so good. It was when so she great. sang the uh, Spice Girls song, that made yeah. me very happy. Yeah, and uh, just to see okay. her joyfully singing along with her own music was super fun too. So yes. everyone should go check that out. And there's also that great clip of her where she shows up to a tryout of Adele impersonators, and she's got like a fake nose, and yeah. she's trying out as an Adele impersonator. <laughs> God, I love I love these folks that can you know that can can take a cut at themselves you know which i don't think everyone can do uh, she just she's she's super talented 
All right. Um, so, okay. So, it's my favorite album of the year. My favorite album of the year is Ryan Adams, 1989. I listened to that <laughs> Taylor Swift album so much. I That's can't even so begin awesome. to tell you. Well, so, was that I, after? Because you, had you not heard it when we had first done the episode where we talked about it? or uh, No, I had. Uh, okay. Like, since that, that album came out, I have listened to that 1989 album that Ryan Adams did every day That's so like funny. at the end of the year spotify tells you like what seasonally and daily and all that stuff your favorite albums are and and like fall was my uh season of ryan adams apparently so and and according to my wife who was like could you please turn that taylor swift song off um <laughs> i i that was my favorite album i absolutely loved 1989 by ryan adams um so my but my favorite songs not on that Number one is uh, Speed Trap Town by Jason Isbell. Um, and number two is Close Your Eyes and Count to Fuck by Run the Jewels. Um, and, and it's Run the Jewels with Zach De La Rocha from Rage Against the Machine. And it's a, a, a great rap song um, that sounds like a Rage Against the Machine song. And it's also got the most compelling music video ever, which is a African-American man and a cop fighting on a street and then fighting in a house and then fighting and fighting and fighting with absolutely no winner over and over and over again. It's, oh, cool. it's a, it's an amazing, um, music video also, but speed trap town by Jason Isbell. It's, you know, it's a guy who's come back to the small speed trap town. He lived in his father's on his deathbed in the hospital, but just won't die. And, uh, you know, his father had a heart attack having sex with someone who wasn't his mama all the stuff i love about jason Isbell's song <laughs> all in one place I, I absolutely love it it also brings me to tears when i hear it i mean jason Isbell, if he wanted to he could just show up at my house and punch me and i'd be like hit me again give it to me jason give it to me have you seen did you see him live this year i did and uh i think i'm gonna see him live again um in 2016 now he's playing uh, in la with uh with john prine in may okay. and I'm, I'm hoping to go see him um but i love speed trap town um that that was my favorite song but this was a i i had a that spotify discover weekly thing where they give you it life-changing yeah bands i've never yeah. heard of songs i've never heard of delivered to my inbox every monday yeah. awesome it's the best yeah all right last question last best of since we're coming up at the four hour mark um <laughs> Favorite yeah. food. Writer, favorite food. Ooh, and the food thing. Uh, I knew this was coming, though, so I have another sentimental answer. Uh, my, my favorite food in life has always been Cheerios. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's just my go-to. You know, it's okay. like, the, if I it, better than popcorn when you're watching a movie, just have some dry Cheerios. So it's just like, uh, and my wife has always made fun of me and said it's disgusting because yeah. she's like, you're a baby. You are a baby sitting there eating Cheerios. (laughs) Well, guess what? Now I have a baby. And guess what we do every morning? We sit together and we eat Cheerios. And he feeds them to me out of his little sticky hand. And I love it. And we enjoy Cheerios together. So Cheerios won this year. All right. Wow. Julia, your your food of the year? Uh, Well, I kind of accidentally learned to cook this year. So that was awesome. Um, I started doing Blue Apron, which is where somebody mails you really awesome food and you cook it, and it's been awesome. Um, So I've eaten a lot of good stuff. Um, But the surprise return, I did not think about this, so uh, I'm just rambling now, but uh, somebody mentioned string cheese to me 
Oh yeah. And I had not had cream cheese in probably 15 years. I it's have back. consumed a crazy amount of string cheese lately. <laughs> it is delicious. It's the best. Yeah. Also it's great. Really it's satisfying. Andy yeah. loves string yeah. cheese. <laughs> All right. So um, we got two babies. And what, do you, what is yours, Todd? I hope it's something that makes this question worthwhile. Strangely, this was also a cheese year for me. It, it was pub cheese. Trader Joe's pub cheese. Uh, oh, yeah. Cheddar and cheese? horseradish. You ate it in my room in the Rancho Mirage. It's uh, it's cheddar and horseradish. It's like spreadable whipped. cheese that you dip yeah. your uh, chip in. Oh yeah, and it's I think it's I remember this. Uh, it it's the best food that's ever been made. Particularly if you're maybe a little impaired. <laughs> if, you're, if you're slightly <laughs> impaired, it's the best food ever it's great on a chip it's great on your finger it's great if you just leave it out all night and then come back to it in the morning pub cheese no oh my god it's so fucking good it is i can't be around it. it it's a disaster oh, god, it's good oh it's so delicious wow. all right I well think, that was uh, our 2015 well, that was it <laughs> that's 2015, that's 2015 people hey tucker um feel free to drop in some of your favorites here at the end and people let us know um what you like to wear and what you like to eat and all that good stuff too um let us know on our twitter and and we'll retweet you, and you can feel like you've been touched by the hand of your favorite podcast. Okay, well, wait a second. I gotta. You don't have to tell us what you're wearing so that we'll touch yeah, you. you That's yeah, no, you don't. No, don't. Okay, since Todd asked me to weigh in on this, I'll just say, hey, I'm Tucker Ives, and I'm the producer, uh, putter together of Literary Disco. See, last year they invited me to join them live on the Best of 2014 episode, just before Christmas, but they were running really, really late, so I ended up leaving halfway through to go to uh, the bar. So without much explanation, here are my takes on the Best of 2015. The best podcast, the Rosenthal and Jezelnik Vanity Project, it's an NFL.com podcast, and I don't watch much football. So the quick premise of it is that Anthony Jezelnik, the great comedian who manages to offend all sorts of people, co-hosts a podcast with his longtime friend, NFL reporter Greg Rosenthal. I have no idea why the NFL ever thought, yeah, let's give Jezelnik a microphone, and they made a mockery of the league. Best movie, Black Mass. I'm really into the Wade Bulger story. I've produced a few shows on him for the public radio show I produce at WNPR, which is also where Julia's new podcast, Radius, comes out of, and I totally recommend her podcast. Uh, but for Black Mass, Johnny Depp's performance was spectacular, and I am a total sucker for it. Best TV show, Silicon Valley. Best literary disco book, longtime Mountain Goats fan here, and I thought Wolf in White Van was spectacular. Best non-literary disco book is 112263 by Stephen King, because duh. Article of clothing, uh, so for the sake of my Achilles tendon, I purchased some L.L. Bean uh, clogs so they don't rub up on the back of my heel. They're comfortable as hell and I wear them to work most days. However, earlier this year, our station brought David Sedaris to town and when I met him, he asked why I was wearing clogs. It was kind of weird. 
best food, popcorn. Sorry, Ryder. I finally got my own popcorn maker, and it is the best thing that has happened to me uh, in the world of food for at least the last year. Favorite song, Cumberland by Josh Ritter off of his new album. I love Josh. Love this song. It epitomizes everything I love about Josh, so going with Cumberland. All of my friends say, what's up in Cumberland? Gonna get lonesome when you get out to Cumberland. Stay in the city, boy. Winter is a wonderland. They all mean well. I will remember them. Oh, boy, gotta get yourself back to the country now. Country now. Oh, boy, gotta get yourself back to the country now. Wander through the hollow, honey. Wander through the glen. They believe a fiddle has a copper, has a moccasin. Build a little cabin, honey. Throw a window in. Watch the breeze blowing through the hickories and nettlings. Oh, boy, gotta get yourself back to the country now. Country now. Oh, boy, gotta get yourself back to the country now. You get there before I do. Tell everybody I'm coming too. 